0: Welcome to The Yoga Room. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Munoz, a yoga therapist and researcher, studying and applying the tools of yoga to help transform the lives of people living with arthritis and related conditions. In this podcast, we'll explore the application of yoga to daily life, what the research shows, what real people have experienced and how to ensure that yoga in its many forms is safe, accessible, practical, and relevant. You'll hear from people living with arthritis, yoga experts, healthcare professionals, and scientists who work in this space. Whether you're a yoga professional, a person living with a chronic condition, or someone who cares for those who do, we hope you'll walk away from each episode with a useful nugget of information or insight. Perhaps even think of this episode as a little bit of self-care, whether you're listening in the car, the shower, on a walk, or in bed during a flare, we hope our sharing nourishes you in some way. As we begin, take a long, deep breath and consider setting an intention to have an open mind, to be fully present, to discover something new, to trust that you're hearing exactly what will serve you today and beyond. And with that, let's get on with the episode. Hello everyone. And welcome back to the yoga room. I am excited to share with you today's guest, Amy Allen. Um, Amy is a person living with rheumatic disease who has incorporated some of the tools of yoga into her life and I think, um, offers an example of how to walk the walk and keep refining the walk over time. And so I'm pleased to be able to share her journey with you, uh, that may serve as inspiration. It can be informative for those of you who are yoga professionals who work with this population and are getting to know what the ins and outs are of life with rheumatic disease. And also for those of you who may be living with rheumatic disease, how to navigate your own journey with these conditions. So I will read her bio and then we'll kick off a conversation together. Professionally, Amy has dedicated her career to reducing cancer health disparities in rural West Virginia and Appalachia, primarily working in health communications and mobile health care. Personally, she, along with her husband, are newish empty nesters with two college-age sons. She's an avid reader and a person living with psoriatic arthritis. She was diagnosed with psoriasis at the age of six and psa fi- 15 years ago so thank you so much amy um and i think this is a good opportunity not just for people to hear your story but for people to learn a little something about psoriatic arthritis which i certainly mention but it's a little less common and people may be less familiar with it than some other rheumatic diseases so why don't we just start with you said that you were diagnosed with psoriasis at age 6 and Oftentimes, psoriasis comes first, which, of course, is an inflammatory condition of the skin, and then it can have joint involvement later on. So tell us just a little bit about psoriasis. So being a kid with psoriasis, what was that like, and how did it affect your life?
1: Sure. It's my pleasure to talk with you today. Um, This is something I've done before, so it's interesting to talk about my journey. I was diagnosed at six. And I can't remember ever not having this disease, honestly. And it was so aggressive. So I'm in first grade, and it was so aggressive, I would come home with lunch. And I would have patches throughout my body, and especially on my scalp. So my mother would take a thick, gelish consistency type of medication at lunchtime to put throughout my scalp. And I would get sent back to school with some kind of supposedly funky head covering that really, you know, you're in first grade, you don't wear those things. So, I mean, I, I, I feel blessed that I've had good healthcare along the way, but it has, I have, um, my entire childhood, I was always embarrassed. I always covered up, you know, because, um, there were various times of severity with my disease, but my legs were off front of my legs were often always covered elbows often always covered scalp really it was a challenge to keep controlled and uh, the smell of tar shampoo reminds me of like all of my junior high high school years because that really helped me keep my scalp under control throughout that time oh, well wow.
0: and and amy but, for people who don't know so the psoriasis um is characterized by red yeah. scaly itchy patches yeah. of skin so it um aesthetically can be um, difficult, especially as a kid, because it makes you look different, especially if the patches are visible. I think maybe people have seen advertisements for medication for psoriasis that show kind of, you know, a, a red patch, and then it kind of disappears with the medication. So aside from the aesthetics of it, did you have pain? Did you have discomfort? Was it there all of the time? Did it come and go? um yes and there are different types of psoriasis but
1: um i think i have probably the more common type like you described with the patches and the way it it progresses in the body um often symmetrical um painful in that it can itch like crazy and you scratch and then you bleed and you bleed on your clothes and you bleed on things that are around you like if it's something external and you're not covered up with clothing and you get very creative with your clothing And choices that you have, especially as a young girl trying to fit in in school and things like that. You know, you don't really want it to be evident to others. You're embarrassed and you're insecure, and you kind of try to avoid all of that. Um, So it's interesting to look back now as an adult with grown children to think about what that was really like for me. I mean, I think you just do the best to get through as best you can. I've always been very blessed to have had a very supportive family. And Environment, um, and I think that helps me keep most of my self-esteem through the process. But it's not easy, and and you know the itching. Um, also, as an adult later, I progressed into pityriasis rubra pilaris, which is extremely rare to get an adult onset. That kind of may be associated with the psoriatic. We'll talk about that in just a sec, but um, which was also a very aggressive, itchy, scaly kind of situation. And um, so, like you. Summer is not a great time because mm. you can't cover up everything. I love right. summer. And I, was a and I imagine every... also,
0: does the heat exacerbate
1: it? It does, but the sunshine helps. So, oftentimes mm. in summers, that would be more clear than like Christmas time, yeah. you're going to have a lot more activity. And you could just have times where you just want to sit and scratch your scalp mm. and just be like, I just cannot stop this itching. You know? Yeah. After, and the dry I... weather
0: of winter, I would imagine, yeah. makes it worse also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you have friends who were understanding? Yeah, I did. Like, I don't recall, I
1: mean, I remember people asking me, like, giving me looks and mm-hmm. making s- small comments, but, you know, it wasn't, um, I really don't think I ended up in a lot of bullying situations. Mm-hmm. I think it was just more of like a distancing thing and kind yeah. of a side glance kind of situation. But yeah, I did have friends that were understanding. I don't think everybody really got it, but they Mm. were like, whatever, we'll just go with this and it's fine. And I would have periods where it wasn't as bad as others, which was helpful. Um, You know, like I say, summers would be helpful with sunshine um, and being outside. And then, you know, different medications would work on and off at different times. But Mm. I would say I was mostly dealing with topical
0: medications
1: up through my mid my
0: early 40s so I'm in my mid 50s now and were there any side effects from the topicals
1: yeah you can get a lot of irritation some um they're also all very almost all very greasy the ones that have always been affected to me are really greasy so you put it on in the morning after you get in the shower and it's going to come through your clothing and it's going to mess anything like if you wear a hat or it's like on everything and it's thick on your finger it's like Vaseline like rubbing Mm. Vaseline on yourself like it never really goes away so it's definitely uncomfortable and inconvenient and all those things. But, and,
0: yeah. and then about 15 years ago that progressed to an arthritis. So what were the early symptoms that you noticed? And you know we've had some other guests where we've talked about it can be quite a journey from the point where you start to notice symptoms until you get a diagnosis and perhaps you knew about psoriatic arthritis and were able to connect the two, but maybe not. So can you talk a little bit about that from symptoms to diagnosis?
1: Sure. I will say there is a period in my early 20s when I was in college where I was having trouble walking across campus when I was at student health. And there was a provider there that said, I have a feeling you might have psoriatic arthritis. Um, but I would say it, it really didn't progress. It anything that you could diagnose clinically till I was older. I had my children in my mid thirties, which is I think interesting to think then at 40, I got diagnosed, I was diagnosed. Um, And I was lucky in the perspective of, the reason I was referred to a rheumatologist is because my dermatologist noticed nail pitting. now in retrospect, would you I would you explain what that is,
0: Amy, for people nail who nails, might not but know?
1: It was little yeah. dots and striations and um imperfections in my nails. And it was started with my pinkies, pinky fingernails. They were kind of coming away from the nail bed. So you'd have a lot more like white when your nail is a little bit longer. You see white at the tip. Mm-hmm. You would see much more of that. And and then It it would look different ways at different times, but she's like, that's an early indicator of psoriatic arthritis. Now, in retrospect, had I had trouble with my feet and my hands and things like that? Oh, yeah, I had. And I had continued to afterward, but that was the biggest thing that referred me on. So for me, I feel very grateful because it was probably pretty early in a more aggressive disease state. I've always had aggressive skin psoriatic arthritis and my um, rheumatic issues and joints and all of that are fairly aggressive too, but they've been decently managed, but it requires a combination of drugs um, and a lot of self-care to do that. And so it's like whack-a-mole. It's like you get one thing taken care of, you have something else you have to do. And I'm an interesting challenge for my rheumatologist. She just shakes her head (laughs) because she says, I have other other patients who's come in. You would never know that they had these diseases, but I still have skin flares. I still have joint activity. There's things that still happen, even though I'm pretty well under control. What yeah. more detail can I give you about that? Yeah, so
0: and, and yeah. I just want to point this out because we may have mentioned to this in a prior episode that it's sometimes said in rheumatology, if you've seen one patient, you've seen one patient, That that each person presents so differently. And I think it can be frustrating for patients who are accustomed to conditions that are uniformly managed like something like diabetes you know you treat it like this and then when that isn't enough you treat it like this and when that it isn't enough you treat it like this and it doesn't work that way with rheumatology because it's a it's a syndrome where everyone presents slightly differently everyone's symptoms are a little bit different everybody's disease responds a little bit differently which is really an opportunity for the self awareness that comes with yoga practice is to get to know you know that svadhyaya self study to get to know your own body and your own disease and the signs that things are going in a direction that something's working or not working in order to collaborate with your rheumatologist who is an expert in rheumatology in general but is trying to figure you out as a unique puzzle of a patient So that, um, and I suspect that your own self-awareness has served you in collaborating with your rheumatologist.
1: I think so, but I also feel with that statement that Self-awareness is very helpful, but there can be things happening you don't even realize it at the same time. So you can't put it all on yourself. So I can give this example. So I start out originally, I have issues with my hands, I have issues with my feet, and, and then I have issues with my knees and different things at different times. So I'm in PT, I have carpal tunnel surgery on both hands over the last 15 years, you know, things like that. But most recently, I discovered And was shocked to discover that I'm bone on bone on my right hip, and now I need a hip replacement at this youngish age, you know, for hip replacements. And we were both shocked. My rheumatologist and I were both shocked. (laughs) We were like, "Wow!" So it could there could be a couple different reasons for this. I don't know for sure because I'm scheduled to have it later in this month, and we're hoping to do pathology to find out a little bit more about why the hip failed because the other hip is fine. And um, so I feel like if this is my disease that's attacked this part of my body, it has caught me totally off guard. But, you know, part of it I can pay attention to and part of it catches me off guard. I mean, my husband, we've had these conversations before where he's like, well, can't you tell? And, you know, he's like, usually really tuned in. And I'm like, Sometimes I am, but sometimes I can be really surprised. So I guess that's my caveat to that statement.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really important Amy and something that you point at when you say, you know, you can't put it all on yourself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That sometimes for people who do have a level of self-awareness, there can be a pressure that you put on yourself to be able to manage the disease perfectly. This came up with Dr. Jen Dax, who has had rheumatoid arthritis. It was then called juvenile rheumatoid arthritis from the time she was two, and is a psychologist and a yoga teacher and has a lot of self-awareness and sometimes feels like I should be able to Prevent a flare from happening. I should have seen this coming. I should be managing my stress better so that this doesn't happen. And so there can be some shooting that is not very helpful, right? You know, looking back at what has already happened and saying, I should have done this differently is not useful. And maybe you couldn't have done it differently. Maybe there was nothing that, or maybe it was worth the trade-off because, you know, for example, Jen was flaring in graduate school while she was getting her PhD in psychology. That's normal stress. That's going to be a stressful life experience for anyone. Good life events can be stressful and the body responds to them accordingly, sometimes despite our best strategies. So yeah, the self-awareness can help and it's important to not develop attachment to the idea of perfect management. So not to be attached to our own self-identity as someone who has mastered this, which is a little bit of ego involved there. And also not being attached to having stable disease because as soon as you get comfortable with how it is, it's gonna change. As you've expressed with like medications work, and then they don't, and things catch you by surprise, and so another yogic tool that comes in there is adapt to just accommodate, right? Like you wake up in the morning and the day brings what it brings, and that's true for arthritis. It's true for life. It's just maybe even more so when you're living with some of these conditions
1: I think um, one of the fascinating experiences that i've had is that growing up with a skin disease that was so readily apparent externally once i was diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis and started on biologics and other medications i've been on almost everything you can take i mean the whole range i've been through almost every class of drugs and everything that's been there Um, but once i started biologics my skin cleared up so it was then okay then you're externally okay But internally, I still have all this other stuff going on, like something hurts, I can't walk right, I got to go PT again, I need to do this, I need to do that. So it's been a really interesting journey to to reconcile that external, internal type of thing. And one of the things that was so profound for me with your book was like, I felt seen, I felt Mm -hmm. like, this isn't all just me, and I don't have to all just manage this internally. But there is a way and a set of tools I can use that can give me some power over this, even if it doesn't control the outcome. But in the day to day, I can do something that changes my experience. And like you say, it alters the definition of myself. You know, yes. this is one aspect of me and it's something that I have to manage every single day when it comes to energy or resources or things like that but it doesn't have to be the defining characteristic. Right. You know, like when we had to write an introduction, I was like, how do I introduce myself? Because I don't want to just be all about this because I'm not, you
0: know, but
1: part of me is. So it's a balance.
0: Right. (laughs) Can that be a part of who you are and not the, you know, when we, when we talk about person first language, Mm -hmm. you are not a psoriatic arthritis patient. You are Amy who happens to be living with psoriatic arthritis among a whole bunch of other characteristics of your life? So I, I want to come back to this idea of visible versus invisible disease and what that has meant because you've lived with both, what that has meant for sort of how how you show up in the world and how how you see yourself, how other people see you. Can you say a little bit more about that?
1: Um, yeah, so I think when you have something that's visible in the external, it's a cue that something's going on for that person. It it might not be socially desirable or whatever people's feelings are. It's, you know, it is what it is. It's there and it's, it's readily apparent. And it is, it, like I say, a cue or some kind of indicator that something's going on. When the shift happens, And maybe this is pressure I just put on myself too. So I'll I'll put that caveat out there. But when the shift happens to when it's more external, internal and, and less external, it's more like, well, everything should be okay. You should have a similar energy level, you should be able to do the things that other people are doing. And at the same time, this is happening to me, I'm raising young children. So they're athletic boys, and we're running all the time. And you know, and there's a lot happening in our household. So I am just like, hanging on for dear life, exhausted, trying to get through all of this activity (laughs) and wishing I could be like other younger mothers who didn't have to deal with all this stuff, you know, I mean, at the time, but I didn't really dwell on that, but it is, it isolates you because you feel Mm -hmm. like you want to be able to, but it's not like you can always have a conversation about it because you don't really want to focus on things that are Maybe negative or personal or whatever, but it it doesn't give you that um, opportunity to connect with other people around things that make us human. And maybe mm. that's just the way that I handled it with my coping mechanism, but um, it just was kind of like it would surprise people because I was pretty right. high-functioning. Uh, Yeah, I would dose myself up with all kinds of medication to get through every event or day-long soccer thing or big band tournament or whatever. But I would do it because I wanted to be there and I enjoyed it. But then then, I would be like paying the price after. Right,
0: and people have expectations of you because they don't really see and maybe you have expectations of yourself. So an example of that kind of experience that, um, that... is exemplary from my own experience is when my mother was living with cancer. So she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer that had metastasized to her lungs and had to have much of her lungs removed and was given 18 months to live. Turned out, um, I think partly through sheer will, positivity, and medicine, living with stage four cancer for six years. But she had a handicap tag because she, she had a very serious health condition that affected her ability to do a whole lot of things like breathe, right? And, you know, and the, the chemotherapy and the fatigue of the chemotherapy. And she would wear a wig and she was a designer. And so she would do her best to look fabulous. And she parked in a handicapped spot and got out of the car and somebody was yelling at her because she looked fine. I got, I mean, cause she could walk, you know, she got out of the car and was like assaulted verbally by this person. And she just turned to them and said, you don't want what I've got. (laughs) And that was it. And it was like, like you, there is, there is something about an invisible disease that just people assume and expect you to have a high level of function which on the one hand can be good because you can fit in and feel like everybody else and rally and be a part of things and on the other hand it can create an expectation in yourself or judgment judgment from other people judgment internally about not living up to the standard that you look like you should be able to and you were raising small children so you know even more so so can can you say a little bit about um Motherhood and your how did you do that? How did you navigate it? I mean, we as mothers should on ourselves all the time. We all feel like we're falling short of being the mothers that we want to be. So, how did you handle that for yourself? And then, how, what role did it play in your relationship with your boys? Great question. Um, let me say for
1: a my husband is extremely supportive and helpful. And um, I'm living the situation right now with the handicap tag, which has been a really interesting mind place to be. And I have those thoughts as I'm getting out of the car, who's going to say something to me. But when my children were younger, how did I manage this? Well, I have there's so many things I want to do in any given day. Like I have, you know, I have great friends, I love the work that I do. There's so much that's important. But when I had young kids, I also was interested in pursuing my PhD. Like I had big plants, but my system was not gonna support all the things that I wanted to do. So I had to scale back and I had to prioritize. Well, for me, first was always my children, and always, they always came first. So I was lucky enough in my employment to have the opportunity to reduce my time at various points, either where they were or where I was, or if I wanted to do a little additional education, um, I could I would reduce my FTE time at work because I couldn't, I couldn't really fulfill a full-time job, run with my kids after work, run all weekend, get ready, do the whole thing again. Like I just couldn't sustain that. And even to this day, I'm like an 80% employee, not a full-time employee, because I feel like I need a little buffer. So I work like four days a week instead of five. And um and just try to ratchet it back my expectations of stuff for myself. Even though I do try to squeeze five into four, <laughs> but uh, um, my kids, I think I tried not to talk much about it with them when they were really young. Although they would see my skin, they would know with all some of the things that happened with with my skin. If if my scalp was really crazy, or if there was flakes playing on the furniture or things like that, they knew about that, and they knew if it was irritated or uncomfortable that they would talk to me about that. But I didn't talk that much about What was happening internally as I shifted more towards arthritis until they got older, Um, mostly because I didn't want to scare them. Um, But as they got older, I thought they need to understand this is happening because this could happen to them too. You know, there is a hereditary component. And also, they're becoming, they can handle it. They're becoming more mature. This is what happens to people. And uh, it's been so fascinating because my mobility is so limited right now with my, uh, I mean, maybe if I had to walk half a mile, maybe I could, you know, but like my husband's like saving my steps. He drives me to the, wherever we need to go to the door. He's like, you know, and the kids are really have been, I have college age boys and they have been extremely supportive. And they're like, what can we do? How can we do this? And I think that By letting them into my experience, I think that they're more empathetic and they think about it differently than they would have otherwise. And they're super psyched that I got a surgery date because I've been waiting almost a year because there was all this delay after COVID and then there was all this other stuff. And so they were really, really excited because they know how worn down I am with the process. But my hope is that by sharing with them the challenges of it to a small degree, not day to day. I don't, My husband probably gets the most of it but I really try not to talk about it a lot because I don't want it to be even though it is it's always present in my mind I don't want it to be the most present thing in my interactions with other people but I do feel like um this journey will be informative for them they'll help them understand me it helped uh, them maybe understand themselves or somebody else in their life some point down the future but I'm really proud of them they've been very empathetic and understanding and, and I'm so grateful yeah
0: Thank you for sharing that, Amy. You know, as parents get older, if we're fortunate enough to get older, there is a point where the roles reverse. I mean, depending on our particular journey, it's common for children to end up taking care of their parents in the way that parents once took care of children. And when you're living with a chronic condition, sometimes that comes sooner than anyone might expect. And I can imagine that, I mean, you're, you're not there yet, but they are thinking about
1: mm-hmm. you
0: as maybe a little bit more fragile than they did when they were kids and they didn't realize the extent of things. So how does that feel for you?
1: oh, I don't like it at all. (laughs) I don't like it at all. I like to be independent. I like to take care of everybody else. I don't necessarily want to have to have to worry about me. I mean, beyond obviously respect and reciprocation, you know, with, uh, with, you know, with day-to-day things. Um, I don't like it, but I can't control it at this point. I've got to do what I can do. And I do feel like, like, for example, this hip replacement surgery is happening. You know, the boys are out of the house now. Yeah. You know, they're going to be a part of this. They're going to come see me. They'll, they'll, you know, but I'm I'm proud of the fact I could at least get through the whole entire time of all their activities and all yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. You know, that I got myself through all of that. I feel really yeah. good about that. And I know I can take care of whatever I need to do now, I'll figure it out and I'll take care of it. Like I'm thinking about what are the implications of this disease for my long-term career? Do I need to retire early? When we went to Mm -hmm. look for a house, we were like, do I have to find a house without steps? You know, My rheumatologist was like, no, she's like, there are all kinds of options. There are all kinds of things. And also if
0: you have steps, you will use them and probably stay stronger for longer
1: yes and, and that's if you plan, don't yeah i've ended up with lots of steps so, i mean yeah you know, I, ha- I can live on the main level but yeah so, so. i
0: mean there's also there's something from yoga wisdom about that and we apply it to asana practice with like a willingness to use props a willingness to do different versions of the pose which translates to a willingness to rely on support which is Not easy when we are, again, from an ego place, attached to this idea of being fully self-sufficient. So has that shown up in other areas of your life where you're navigating this, like, do I take it on myself and push through it? Or do I say, like you did with your, Work hours. You know what? It's okay to scale back. It's okay to do a little bit less. Or actually, you're still navigating that with your work because you're trying to fit five days into four. <laughs>
1: that's my own fault. <laughs> um, I would say the the process right now was my limited mobility and needing to get a handicap pass, yeah. and not pushing myself to walk from the parking garage. That's you park away quite a ways away. Carry a laptop in your backpack. You know, carry all these things and hike up the hill to get into the building on campus um, the switch to um getting a handicap pass was a, was a significant one psychologically for me and also mm. i don't even have a backpack i have a rolling bag now like yeah. so i and but it the interesting thing and i think my mom would echo this she's in her early 80s is that when people see you having some type of trouble getting around or pulling all your stuff they're more likely to help you. People have been very kind. My colleagues at work have been so thoughtful and kind, and I never ever want to put any of my stuff on anybody else, but so ready and willing to help and people hold the door. And so there's something about that, you know, what you put on yourself versus what the rest of the world really thinks or feels about the situation, you know, and nobody's waiting to yell at me when I get out of the car, like your poor mom. And that's the way I feel sometimes, but that, you know, (laughs) i kind of, I have that thought in the back of my mind, you know, but I'm like, this is what I need to do so I can get to work right now. And it may not be later or it may be something else. Like, I don't have full confidence. I'll fix my hip and then I'll be, you know, ready to go. I think there's going right. to be an interesting dynamic that happens when I put stress on other parts of my body and then I need right. to walk more. And then there's going to be something like that. So, in my mind, I want to make sure that my expectations are appropriate and are in line and supportive of the journey. And I do feel like the the time we've spent together, whether that's on one on one or through um, like the book club or the meditation class, consistently reinforces more of a present day perspective. More of a mm. take this moment, be mindful. Um, I always do try to be very grateful for all the wonderful things in my life because I think it's important to keep that in perspective because so much of this can drag you down psychologically in addition mm. to physically. The fatigue. The ongoing, where am I going to spend my resources today? I only have so many yeah. spoons. You know, the spoon theory is real, it's really real. Yeah. And it's like, okay, like I want to cook a healthy dinner, but I kind of got to work all day and commute home and it's not going to (laughs) happen. So I don't really care about dinner and we're just going to have to deal with it. You know, that's a very tiny example. There are much bigger ones, but.
0: Yeah. And and there's a balance, you know, with you, with the roller bag and the handicap spot, there's a balance uh, and and what we were talking about with the steps of maintaining your strength and vitality by Mm -hmm. challenging yourself to do what you can and not push it too far and end up with pain and fatigue and not being able to do the things that are most essential. So that seems to come, I mean, it's come up throughout this conversation, those decisions that you have to make, whether it's with your kids, with your job, with how much of an education to pursue, that you're always sort of titrating, Mm -hmm. how much capacity do I have? where did yoga come into this for you so how did you get introduced to the idea of yoga and did you pursue it to manage the arthritis or did you start before that um i had had some experience in yoga classes before
1: i was diagnosed on and off through the university. There were some um, researchers with some back studies and just had some evening classes and uh, some things that I participated in um, and really enjoyed it and really um, liked the practice, the physical practice. It was a focus on the physical practice at that point. Um, I was really lucky because my first rheumatologist when I got referred over with the pitted fingernails was, um, she recommended your DVD with modifications on yoga. And I was like, okay. Amy, what year
0: was that? This when was that? was a
1: that? long time ago. So, this, yeah. when did the video come out? How long? How?
0: Twenty. Wait, I had just had my son, so it was yeah, probably 2011 or maybe 2012. So probably. Okay, we're at
1: 2020. Sorry, my math here. Yeah, it was.
0: It's like 10 years ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah, easily. Yeah. So it was newer than that, you know, like it was like first run then it was like, you know, it was, and she recommended this video and I immediately bought that video and was doing exactly what was in that video. And we talked about motion as lotion. We talked Mm. about how activity is your friend, but you have to figure out how to do that. So that was more of like a physical orientation and an adaptation so that I could there are ways I could do this that are just a little different, but I can still do these things. But I think for me, the evolution of the understanding and appreciation of what this means for me in my entire life view is really more associated around when I read your book Um, because that put it into perspective for me, like a more holistic perspective of what a yoga practice means, but also how it applied to me in my life and how, um, and so on and off over the years, there's many times I can't do much of a physical practice. Like it's always my lower body. It's always my feet, my knees, my hips or something weird going on. Plus, I can't do things with my hands and my wrists, So it's like, oh, heavens, you know, what am I, I going to work this out? But um, even if it's like just the breath practice, not just the breath practice, it could be all about the breath practice. But the meaningful of that in your day to day life, I mean, it makes me a little emotional because it's so significant it really can make a big difference. And the meditation um, class that we went through in the last year or so tremendously has helped me in coping with this hip issue and the lack of mobility because you're, you're, you don't really move around much, then you don't sleep and then you sleep and you feel worse. And it's like this really crappy cycle and you're kind of like, okay, I'm really got to keep my patience and positivity up here somehow. <laughs> um, so I think it, to me, these, the psychological, the breath, the time, the quiet time, the change in perspective is maybe even more meaningful than the physical, but they all are important. And I'm excited to get back to more physical once I get my hip fixed.
0: <laughs> so how, what does, you, you talked about a variety of different practices. So mm-hmm. some physical practice, breath meditation mindset being really important what does that look like in your life do you stop and pause when you're feeling overwhelmed do you take a few deep breaths do you sit down and do a meditation or lying in bed do you do some movement how does it is it consistent does it look a certain way does it change all the time um It's not
1: that consistent. There are consistencies over time, but I feel like I have a toolbox and I feel like I need to assess how much time do I have? How much energy do I have? What can I put forth to this? What do I need? Although I'm not that great at that, I still have a little ways to go to figure out exactly what I need, which I'm sure, you know, we're all on a journey. Um, But one of the things I mentioned, looking for a house. And so in the last few years, we bought a different house and this house has not only an office, because I was working out of our dining room, many of us are, can, you know, know that through COVID, but also has a little bedroom that I can use for a yoga room. And I have never had that space before, which, um, and it is like such a treat. And it is just a mat on the floor and old TV, if I want to project something up to watch it, you know, and some of my props and things like that. But it's like, having a dedicated space. is like, it's not really, it's like a luxury and a commitment. And it's like an evolution of the practice for me, I guess, to allocate that to my own Mm self-care and to say that this is gonna be there for me when I need it
0: is really helpful. Were you in book club last week? Yes, I was. I didn't get to say anything. You didn't share. (laughs) So for those, first of all, for those of you who are not in book club, You should come to Book Club. So it's a membership benefit. Anyone who is a yoga for arthritis member can come to Book Club for free. If you're not a yoga for arthritis member, you should be because there's it offers so much. Uh, but in book club, we're going through the book, my my book as our first book. We'll look move on to other books, but we're reading one chapter a week and talking about it. And we just talked last week about having a dedicated space, which sometimes that means, you know, a closet or a corner of a room somewhere. And Amy, you know that I have also just moved. That's why it's all the walls are so bare. And this is the first time I have had an office that is going to double as a yoga space. And so for me, it has always been a closet or a corner of a room that the dog and the kids are trampling over and it does it feels very luxurious and it also feels like a a a manifested commitment to self like not that i wasn't committed to practice before but there are no excuses when you have a room with a door that you can close, <laughs> right? It feels like there is more weight to it because there's a physicality to the the space, a dedicated space. That yeah, I I get how it feels different, um, and it's it's like a a reminder that space being yeah. there is a reminder, and even like like a a beckoning friend. <laughs> Mm -hmm. come on, (laughs) do some practice. So in terms of mindset, what would you say has been the biggest shift in your perspective or the way that you relate to life with arthritis um, from the toolbox of yoga?
1: You know, there is a daily resource allocation. So there's a daily set of questions that you ask yourself. And you have to figure out what's most important to you when you go through that process. It's pretty easy when I have young children, it's them. You know, it's different at different points in your life when you um, maybe don't have that as your primary calling. Um, So I really feel like I'm moving in the direction of bringing together what this experience has meant for me with my um day-to-day um contributions the things that i'm doing the places i do put my energy and my spirituality so for me this is a place where it can all come together and and that feels really good because i felt like i was leaning in so hard trying to just get through the days that i wasn't able to take a breath and appreciate that and i feel like now and in, in maybe this is just my stage in life that I can look at things a little differently and maybe find with my larger purpose, like incorporate this more readily than I have, which just was before was kind of gritting my teeth, dealing with it off here on the side. Well, I got to go do all this other stuff that I I need to do, you know, type of thing. I don't know what the purpose is why I got this disease. I mean, (laughs) I really, and I'm sure many people feel that way, but, um, I work in cancer. So some days I can look at it and say, you know, I can be grateful that I have something that I can manage on a a regular basis that isn't life-threatening. I mean, you can look at things in lots of different ways. And I always try to take whatever's happening and um, be grateful and as positive as possible. I don't know if that's what you wanted me to get at with this. Uh, It's not, um, to me, the yoga is about the integration in my life. And it's also about even that, um, the practice, to me, it's integrated into like, I've tried, okay, I need to do it every day at this time or something. And that doesn't really work for me. It really needs to work in the flow of, okay, I've sat in this chair through too many zoom meetings. And I feel like kind of strung out and I need some time where I need to stretch and I need to just recenter myself and think about what's happening and maybe be creative about either something that we need at the house or something around work or whatever needs to happen and tap into me, you know, which I feel like when you're managing so many external responsibilities and a disease that requires resource allocation, it's easy to lose track of yourself. So for me, it's been about the integration. Where on earth What do I even want, Where? What, what do I need? I don't even know. Like some days I'm like, okay, I got to at least clue into this because that's truly important here. You know, if I'm not my full self then I can't be there for other people either. So that's part of the journey. That's beautiful and,
0: and really helpful. Amy. Um, you know, and I think there are certainly people who thrive with a structured, dedicated mm-hmm. practice. They roll out their mat or they put down their cushion and they do their practice at a certain time every day or most days or certain days. I have found, especially working with people. With arthritis and rheumatic conditions that being able to incorporate practices from the toolbox throughout the day Mm -hmm. so that it's not well i roll out my mat and i do an hour of movement and breathing and meditation and then i roll it up and that's my yoga practice but rather The yoga is infused throughout my day it's a change in my posture it's a change in my breathing it's a change in my mindset it's a change in my energy management and that when it gets intentionally incorporated then over time it gets dramatically incorporated So you're not saying, oh, I've been sitting here in this Zoom too long, I should stretch. But you are just naturally stretching because you're aware of your body and and its needs. When you need to breathe more deeply and you shift your mindset, when you need to shift your mindset, none of us are living our yoga 100% of the time. But it's an aspiration to do that and we can move in the direction of incorporating these tools more often than not and also I think catching ourselves sooner in the same way that when your medication isn't working and you notice that it's not working the same or a flare is coming on and you notice that it's coming on, that we realize that we've dipped into negativity or we realized that our breath has stagnated or we realize that our back is stiff sooner and do something about it sooner. And then it actually requires less of us than if we ignore it. And then it needs a whole session in order to get us back on balance. So I think the way that you talk about incorporating the tools in various ways is is something that is common I think for a lot of us, but especially people who are living with these conditions.
1: Appreciate that because I feel like what I've tried to do and and part of my my, uh, challenge maybe with articulating all the individual steps is it's been progressive over an extended period of time. I -hmm. keep trying to learn more. I keep trying to come back and revisit. I keep trying to say, okay, there's something more here that I can learn, grow, do, be, you know, like I understand that this is really meaningful for me Mm -hmm. and I want to spend time and energy on it. But it's like, when it comes to incorporating it into my day-to-day life, it really does have to be small snippets because it just yeah. gets overwhelming if it takes too much energy. Yeah.
0: So, for someone who is living with psoriatic arthritis or another related condition that is interested in yoga or just taking better, you know, managing their disease differently or um, growing in that way what would you recommend? I would recommend they read your book. <laughs> and I'm not saying that. I did not tell you, tell you to say that. No, you did
1: not. No, this is not a pre planned book, no. Um, because, well, I, there are, there are resources out there. I think that the yoga for arthritis website has a lot. The national psoriasis association has a lot, which I think is also really helpful. And that can handle a lot of um, support on the clinical side and some Mm -hmm. new research and advances and things like this. But what the book did for me was, I believe I mentioned, it's just that I felt seen. Like I felt there was somebody who understood my experience in a way that, I don't know anybody else who has very close to me who has this disease there's nobody mm-hmm. and even though um you know with the um, rheumatic arthritis rheumatoid arthritis which I have had some in my family but it was like my grandmother when I was young I never mm-hmm. got to talk to her about it it was mm-hmm. never something that we ever you know she was gone before I knew this was going to be in my future yeah. um I feel like the uh, the conversations that happen in the yoga for arthritis community are very supportive and helpful and um, gives you a place to talk about that stuff and to address it in your mind and prioritize it in your time if you wanna listen or participate or learn or do something. Um, that's really been valuable for me.
0: Uh, that process. Yeah, so for a little plug, to the yoga for arthritis community. There are certainly um, resources for free. So there are things on our website, you know, listen to this podcast for sure. Um, And when you're in the membership, there's a Facebook group where you can ask questions and support each other. There's the monthly Q&A where you can come on and, you know, ask anything that you want or send a question that's going to get discussed. You can hear other people's questions get answered there are things like the book club and the meditation course and you don't have to be a medita- you don't have to be a member to take some of the courses like the introductory course which is for people who are living with arthritis where you get some basics and there are classes that you can take and practice so there are ways that we hope that Yoga for Arthritis as an organization can support you in your journey whether you're Um, newly diagnosed, new to yoga, experienced yogi, wherever you are in that journey. So also, Amy, we have yoga teachers and yoga therapists who listen to this podcast, who may work with people who are living with arthritis and related conditions. As a person with arthritis who is a yoga practitioner, what would you suggest to yoga teachers and therapists for how they can best support people like you.
1: I think um, proactively talking about the fact that you're ready, willing and able to modify as needed, checking in with people on a repeated basis about how they're doing and where they are and what modifications they might need. Because one month I might be able to do the whole thing and not need any modifications. That's maybe, who knows, supposed to be positive. And then another month, I, you know, I have something going on with my wrist and I can't do down dog or anything like that because I can't put any pressure on my wrist. And even with a, you know, a pad or something, it's not going to work for me. So I'm going to need to do something different, but that changes over time. But one of the things I think that's so important is the language choices around this, the neutral language, the supportive language, the creation of a culture and environment where, It's understanding that somebody might have a challenge. It's not like out of the norm. It's the norm. We're all going to have things on any given day that maybe we need to deal with. And that's okay. We'll figure that out. Just ask. Or if you don't feel like doing it, don't do it. Just lay down and breathe or whatever. You know, like just give you the flexibility as a student in a class Mm -hmm. and the safety to do and be who you are and where you are so that there isn't this feeling like you have to push through and be like everybody else.
0: Right. Right. Yeah radical autonomy and permission, you know, as long as what you're doing isn't interfering with anyone else's practice, take care of yourself, whatever that looks like. And so it is up to the yoga professional to create an environment where the students feel that permission that you don't feel uncomfortable in it or intimidated, Doing something that you need to do to take care of yourself and you feel like you have the support and the tools you need that you're not left alone to figure out how to do the practice for yourself.
1: That environment makes you excited to go instead of intimidated Mm. to go. Because any type of exercise situation can be very intimidating if you don't know how your body's going to respond on any given day. So to go publicly somewhere, um, maybe it's just I'm more introverted than some, but to go take that step out, to go to a potentially, if it's in public, it could be online. There's lots of different ways you can take classes. But no matter what, if you're interacting with other people and you may or may not, be able to fully you know extend or support your body in different ways or something like that that safety is so significant and I mean you know that's something that this has taught me this is something that it's really taught me because I think about it in different aspects of life for different people you know we all have things whether it's visible on the outside or yeah. not whether it's arthritis or not there are things that put us in any situation where we really appreciate somebody who was just provide some safety and some support and say, it's okay to do what you can do today, you know? And so I think there is definitely a broader lesson in that and an opportunity.
0: Great. Is there anything else that you would like to share? I think that
1: it might be this way for many diseases, you know, and many health implications and other life challenges. It could be a very lonely Mm. situation. You know, you're yeah. trying to manage all of this internally and you can have a very supportive or maybe not. You know, some people don't. I feel very blessed and appreciative of the support that I've had in my environment. But I guess my encouragement would be. To hope that others wouldn't feel as lonely as I know I have at times, mm. you know, maybe there's a way. And, you know, we are also connected now and there are so many opportunities to um reach out and find people in, um, talk or explore new information, things like that. I think, you know, nobody wants to be different than everybody else, even if we're in our fifties. I definitely don't want to be when you're in junior high or you're in elementary school (laughs) putting weird (laughs) stuff on your hair, but you don't even when you're later, you know, later in life, you just kind of want to just fit in and be part of the, the group. And, and there are lots of ways to do that, that aren't dependent upon your disease. And I don't, you know, I think that The using some of these tools to help us not limit ourselves psychologically, let alone what we might have to deal physically, is important too. You know, Um, and and I have no idea if
0: anything I've shared is but be helpful for somebody (laughs) else. I would love it if it happened. (laughs) Amy, thank you so very much. I am honored to have played any kind of a role in your journey. Um, And it's hearing stories like yours and how things like the DVD and the book have made a difference for you that makes me feel so incredibly blessed for having been given this work to do on the planet. So um, thank you for sharing that with me and with the community that and the listeners that may be able to benefit and thank you for being willing to come on the podcast and share your story in the hopes that it might be helpful to someone else absolutely my pleasure and i am very appreciative of the opportunity thank you Thank you so much for joining us in the yoga room if you enjoyed this episode please consider liking following and leaving a review you can find more information and resources on our website at arthritis.yoga and on our social media channels join our newsletter to learn about our latest offerings and please share with anyone who might benefit until our next episode we wish you peace and well-being may your light shine so bright that all the world is better for your being in it.